Our scripture lesson today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's share in God's good word together. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. The other day I was going through some boxes and found my first Bible and the box it was in. I had about 30 handwritten notes of things I wanted to remember. Back then I was about 15 to 16 years old. And it was the first time I had ever read all the way through the Bible cover to cover. By the way, I don't recommend starting that way. I wasn't planning on becoming a pastor back then. But it was sort of a challenge. And I wanted to say that I had done it, that I'd read the Bible, all of it. And I'm glad I did. But as we say around here, the goal is not to get all the way through the Bible. The goal is for the Bible to get all the way through to you, to us, that we could actually follow Jesus. I love the Bible. I've read almost all of it every year for more than 25 years in a row now. And each morning I begin by reading one of its passages and hope God will speak to me again, his words of love and grace and direction for my life. I study it in depth each week as I prepare for my sermon for you. God speaks to me through the Bible still, regularly. Studying the Bible has taught me more about God and how to live than any other thing in my entire life. So, I've given my life to the Word of God, Jesus. And the words of the Bible help me follow Him every day. So like we say, the goal of grown-up Bible study is not to get all the way through the Bible. It's for the Bible to get all the way through to you. So let's get started. This is Grown Up Bible School, week number four. We're going to learn how to read the Bible together. But before we do that, let's remember where we've been these last three weeks. On Tuesday night of Bible school was our week one. We asked the question, who is Jesus? And the kids learned, I am the good shepherd. That's what Jesus says. I am the name God uses for himself and the good shepherd. I know my own. The Gospel of John says, who is Jesus? Jesus is the good shepherd, the one that looks for his lost sheep, the one that looks for the lost coin, the one that looks for his lost boys. And the great thing about Jesus is that Jesus is the one who knows us completely and accepts us unconditionally. Will you say that with me? Jesus is the one who knows us completely and accepts us unconditionally. On night two of Bible school and week two of this series, we learned where we belong. So where do you belong? We all belong with Jesus in community. You belong. You're important. You matter. The Good Shepherd says that you do, and you belong with the rest of your family of faith and with Jesus. And how we know this is that God doesn't want anyone lost. Not one. Uh, my actual life verse is Second Peter 3, 9. It says this, God, he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Isn't that great? He's giving you time. If you've not yet come to him, know that he's waiting for you. He's looking for you, and he will search for you until he finds you. That's how good our God is. And then the last night of Bible school, Thursday night, and the third week, last week, we asked the question, how can you make a difference? And Jesus has taught us. He gives us a new commandment in John 15. He says this, this is my commandment, not suggestion, not something you ought to think about, but Jesus says, this is my commandment, a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And, of course, Jesus shows this in Luke 15 with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And all three nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we learned this, that we can trust God no matter what. Will you say that last part with me? I can trust God no matter what. 
Well, how do we know this? How do we know that we can trust God? Well, for me and for billions of Christians around the world, it's the Bible. So if we're going to put that much weight, that much emphasis on the Bible, we ought to learn a little more about it. I'm always amazed about how little most people know about the Bible, that, which is the most important book on the planet, and teaches us about our God that we know best through Jesus Christ. So, the word Bible, it simply means book. But it's not just a book, it's actually a library of 66 books. So when you open up the Bible, you're opening up an entire library of wisdom that God has for you and the world. So the Bible is a book written over a period of about a thousand years. But what's included in that uh, is much wider. So the experiences recorded in the Bible cover a much longer period of time. So, for example, the Exodus event where Moses leads his people through the Red Sea. Um, When they leave Egypt, that's going to happen about 1,300 years before Christ. Well, as you might know, Exodus is not the first book of the Bible. It's the second. And so there are hundreds and thousands of years that go back into Genesis. And so the Bible written about a thousand years and about a thousand years, but the the time frame that it covers, it's much bigger than that. Adam Hamilton uh, says it like this. He says, the world's best-selling, most read, and most loved book is also one of the most confusing. Amen to that. And you might know um, Reverend Hamilton uh, as the senior pastor and founding pastor of Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City in Leewood, Kansas. And it is our flagship church, um, the largest United Methodist church in our country. And so um, he's written many books, which I reference all the time. He's a great mentor to me and thousands of other United Methodist pastors. And so... um, Some of this material I've borrowed from him, from his writings, uh, and others, uh, a lot of it from Disciple Bible Study. So, first of all, let's, let's be sure that we know what the Bible is not. The Bible is not magic. It's not a magic eight ball where you shake it and go, should I get married? Yes, or flip open the Bible and say, should I get married? No, that's not how you use the Bible. It's not magic. And it's also not a book of incantations to get what you want. It's not witchcraft. It's not if you memorize this verse and say it, then you get to do what you want to do, or God's going to make your wish come true. It's not like that at all. The Bible is not that. Although it's still around, there are people who will claim, even today, even um, this week, people will say, you know what? I'm just standing on Psalm 91.3. For God will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. So I don't need to worry about, you know, somebody hunting me down. I don't have to worry about a fowler, a hunter of birds. I don't have to worry about that because God's got me. Well, God may be saying to you, "Um, I'm with you, but you need a restraining order. Or I'm with you, but you need to move out of where you're living because it's not safe for you. So just because you can quote a Bible verse doesn't mean uh, that you're supposed to check your brains at the door. And certainly deadly pestilence. Yeah, We, we believe in science. We believe in God. We believe in science. And so it's very important um, that you don't just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a cold, but I'm never going to go to the doctor. That would not be smart, right? So if you're sick, go to the doctor and have people pray for you and listen to how God is leading you in your life. So then we come to a very important question. Is the Bible the word of God? Well, yes and no. 
This is what uh, Dick Murray said. He was the head of education for Southern Methodist University in the Perkins School of Theology, where I went to school back in 1993 to 96. Um, He's one of the foremost uh, educators uh, of theology, and this is what he says. He says, Jesus Christ is the Word of God. See, the the Bible's not the Word of God, really. It's Jesus who's the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God, and the words of the Bible tell us about that Word, Jesus. Therefore, when we study the words of the Bible, we always look behind, in, and through those words for God's Word, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Word of God. And the Bible tells us about Him, and that is super important. So in that way, yes, it is the Word of God if we see it through the lens of Jesus. So how do we read the Bible like a grown-up? Not like a little kid, not even as a teenager, but as someone who's going to mature in our faith. Paul talks about how important this is. He writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see Face to face. He says, Now I only know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I've been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. So, what's the greatest? Love. So, when we come to the Bible, we hear Paul's words that love is the greatest, and that we are to grow up in our faith, and that we don't know everything in this life, that it will be made clear to us in the next, but we struggle forward. Anyway, it's important that we learn more and more of God and we mature in our faith. But we're going to need help with that. And Jesus knew that. So before Jesus ascended, he promised the Holy Spirit. And so when we open the scripture, uh, even for just one or two passages, we want to invite the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. That's what Jesus teaches us. We listen for the Holy Spirit to help us understand eternal and universal truths. One of the things I believe is that truth is self-authenticating. There's a weight to it. There's just a truth to it. So where you know it's going to happen. When someone tells you that the sun will come up tomorrow, you can bank on it. It has happened for millennia. It is a universal truth. The sun will come up tomorrow. And that's a good and beautiful thing. You can count on it. You can count on God. You can count on the rainbow. God says you can count on me not flooding the world again. There are universal truths that we learn in the Bible. But we need the Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us um, these truths and what we are to take in as a universal truth and what we're take, to take in as an individual or particular truth for a particular place and a particular time. So Jesus says it like this in John 14. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, so he's going to send the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Now notice, friends. When we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, notice that the Holy Spirit can only teach or remind you of those things that are in line with Jesus, what Jesus has already taught or what Jesus would say. And so we always interpret the Bible by the Bible. We look at what the Holy Spirit is teaching us by what the Father has taught us and by what Jesus has taught us. And Jesus says, the Spirit's going to come, you're going to need him, and you're gonna, he's going to teach you everything that you need and remind you of all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit's not just making stuff up. He's reminding you of what our Master Jesus has already taught us. When you read the Bible, I hope that you will remain open for unexpected insights that are personal just for us. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you get a sense that God is speaking directly to you. 
It can be such a heartwarming experience where you actually experience the love of God. You can feel God's presence. You can feel his protection. You can feel his grace in your life. But if we're not careful, we can sort of become addicted to that feeling or always looking for that sort of thing to happen in the Bible. And the Bible's not always for that exactly. And so we need to make sure that we don't begin to make the Bible say what we want it to say. And so as followers of Jesus, we first look at what Jesus said and what Jesus did. We don't first look at what we want to get out of the Bible. We look at how to follow Jesus with both what he said and what he did. And again, it's really tempting to try to make the Bible say what you want it to say. And people have been doing that for years, particularly people in power. They've said it around issues of slavery, uh, around women, and around many other issues of the day. So hear this wisdom from 2 Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus, who is he? He's the judge. He's the one that decides. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. Isn't that true today? That you can find a channel, a radio station, a website that agrees with everything you already believe. And that's a way to remain as a child to never grow in your faith, to never mature into the things of God and the things of Jesus, the things he said and the things he did. Yep, it happens. Teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth. But friends, it is the truth that sets us free. So when we do read the scriptures, when we hear a pastor talk about the scriptures, we want to make sure that we're reading the Bible through the lens of Jesus' love, not hate. And if you're listening to someone that says God hates fill in the blank, just know you're in dangerous territory because that's not the love of Christ that we find. We find a God who loves us, who sacrifices himself for us, who goes to the cross for us and is raised to life for us. It's not a God who hates, it's a God who loves. And you have to make sure you're reading the whole Bible and not just some of it. So another question we ask is, how does the text relate to the life and teaching of Jesus of Nazareth? Both what he did and what he said. And then the other thing is, we, we can't just take a verse and pull it out. It, it might make a great meme. It might make you feel better, but it also might make you think the exact wrong thing. You have to look at what comes before and what comes after. So I want to invite you to, to really look at what comes immediately before the text you're reading and after the text you're reading. It's really important because a lot of the stories of the Bible... They, they don't just fit in the chapter that you're reading. Sometimes they're over two or three chapters. Sometimes Jesus will tell story after story after story that are all connected, and we're supposed to read them all together. So here's an example of this. Many people know the Great Commission, right? Those who follow the Great, commitment, the great Commandment and the Great Commission, that makes a great church. Maybe you've heard that. The Great Commandment, the Great Commission, make a great church. And so what is the Great Commission? The Great Commission says this. Maybe you know it. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That may be how you memorized it. Make disciples or go and make disciples. But notice that there's also a little therefore there. And around here we know that you have to ask the question, well, what's the therefore therefore? And so I want to back up now. So this is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. But what comes before it in 18 and what comes after it in verse 20? 
Well, look what Jesus is doing. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is telling his followers, You don't have to worry about anything. All authority on the entire planet is mine. And in the heavens is mine. You don't have a thing to worry about. And because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, you can now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But that's not all. Jesus also has another piece that often gets left out. And this is difficult, but this is the context. And, Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Will you read this last part with me? And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Not just some things. Not just some things that are convenient. Not just some things that, you know, are politically in vogue. No, teaching them everything to obey, to actually be obedient and obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, you can do this because Jesus, the great I am, is with us always to the end of the age. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. He says, because all authority on heaven and on earth is given to me, you can go, therefore, and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's not just baptizing them, and it's to teach them to obey all of it, everything that he has commanded us. Commanded the disciples, and we can do it because he's with us to the end of the age. Now, that's a good context. And it's so important, friends, that we know this because, you may not know this, um, the chapter and verse distinctions, they weren't in the original text. When, when the first things were written down in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there were no chapters, there were no verses. Those were added later so that we could figure out how to get there quicker, so that you're not just wading through you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages. So chapter and verse distinctions were not in the original text. And verses didn't appear until the 1550s. You think about that. More than 1,500 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, you finally get something like John 3.16. And people actually know what that means. Before then, they just learned the scriptures without chapter and verse distinctions. The way we read our Bible today didn't come about until the 1550s. So when we read the Bible, just know that there's lots of translations. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, and Aramaic, those at one time were all translated to Latin, and then Latin was translated back out. Other scholars later um, did it directly from the Hebrew to English and the Greek to English. But all of these are translations. And so when we read the Bible, it's important to look at multiple translations. If something hits you funny while you're reading your Bible, pick up another Bible. And of course, if you've got a smartphone, you can just look at all of them at once. You can just look it up real fast. It's super easy today. Um, not like it was for me in seminary just a few years ago. You can look at multiple translations of the same scripture. So let's take Matthew 4.19 for an example. We're going to look at first in the King James Version. Um, so, maybe you learned it like this. And Jesus, he, saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the King James Version. I don't use the word saith much these days. So if you were to look... Um, This was written in 1611. King James Version, 1611. And there are people, I still meet people today that say, you know what, Pastor Mark, I don't read anything but the King James Version because that's how God wrote it. Well, kind of. But you should also know that it's 1611. I mean, 
would you really want to go back to the first operating system of your computer? Do you really want to go back to DOS or Windows 98? I think not. We have actually learned some things. Scholars have learned some things. We found some Dead Sea Scrolls since 1611. We know more about the Bible. We know more about the context. We know more about archaeological digs today than we did 500 years ago. You might consider another translation as well. So, NRSV says this. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Well, it doesn't have the same ring to it. Saith and fishes of men and I'll make you fish for men. But here's the thing. NRSV, it was created in 1989. Versus King James Version in 1611. And in 1989, there were a group of I believe more than 30 scholars that all came together and they looked at a word-for-word translation in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And they would say, what is the best translation of this Hebrew word for the Old Testament? What is the best translation of this word in the Greek for the New Testament? And then they would discuss and they would study and they came up with the New Revised Standard Version in 1989. And the committee believed that it was more important that everybody know that God is for all people than the poetic sound of, I see your fishermen, I'll make you fishers of men. And so that's why you get the different translations. They simply came at it differently. The other thing that I want you to know is that if you don't really know what to do with the Bible, interpret the Bible by the Bible. It's the best way to do it. And you can do that looking at a footnote. If, if something hits you strange, you can look down and see if there's a footnote. Oftentimes there will be, and it will give you references. And so it'll reference other um, chapters and verses throughout the entire Bible. And most of what Jesus says are quotes from the Old Testament. He's actually saying things that people would already know from the scriptures that he knew. So we're going to interpret the Bible by the Bible using context, language, and footnotes. One of the ways that we study, Brandon and I do, to bring messages to you is through commentaries. And the commentaries, this is the New Interpreter's Bible. Genesis starts here and it goes all the way down here to Revelation. Uh, And some of the best scholars in the world have written those. I also have other um, scholarly materials down here. Uh, We use those and sometimes you have an entire commentary on Romans like over here. And so there's, there's lots and lots of scholars that have given their entire life so that we could better understand the scriptures. So we study them. The other thing is that there is... Hebrew and Greek. And so I want to show you this real quick. So this, you may not have known this, but this is a Hebrew Bible. It reads from right to left. And so as you open it up, it's going to be in Hebrew. And if we can go to the screen over here, if you were to zoom in on this, it's going to look like this. Yep, there's Genesis. And notice that the blank page is over here. And if you were to go to the next page going to look like this. Have you ever seen a book where the smaller number was on the right side and the bigger number was on the left? Probably not, unless you're reading Hebrew. Yep, page two is on the right, page three is on the left, because you're reading it that way. I can't read Hebrew, friends. I just know what it looks like, and I know how really good scholars do it. In the New Testament, we have Greek, and Greek has its own alphabet. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, Iota, Kappa, Lamma, Mu, Nu, Z, Omicron, Pi, Rho, Sigma, Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, Say, Omega. And I learned that at Fraternity House, not in seminary. So here's the thing. It has its own alphabet. And so we ought to be reading people that actually know how to read that in its original. And so the other Bible that I have is called an interlinear Bible. 
And it's going to look like this. This is St. Mark. That's what that says in Greek. I only know that because on the other page it says Mark. And so you'll see the English on one side. And then you will see the English through here and the Greek above it. And that's how you know word for word what's being said in a Greek interlinear Bible. And so whether we're studying the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament or the Greek Scriptures in the New Testament, we really do have to depend on people who know what it says. And so we want to read many of those so that we can decide for ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit, God, what is the word that you have for us today? And so as I said just a moment ago, not all opinions are of equal weight and value. When I go visit people in the hospital or I do a funeral or um, I'm just going somewhere, I have a a New Testament. It's just that big because it's easy to carry around. It doesn't have footnotes. It's not a study Bible, but it is good for me to use daily. But if I'm in deep study, I'm not using this. I might just use this for a reference. Um, But I'll, I'll use all these other things to study and know what God would have me say to you today. So not all opinions are of equal weight, education, or wisdom. Um, So I would encourage you to make sure that the people that you're reading are people that know what they're talking about. And sometimes, like the Left Behind series, you need to remember that that's fiction. It's not the Bible. It's Tim LaHaye writing fiction, which it might be fun to read, but it's not the Bible. So when we do read the Bible, we ask three questions. Question one, what does this passage tell us about God? It's always about God. The book is to tell us about God. But sometimes we'll read something and we think, well, that doesn't sound like God, or that doesn't really tell me much about God. So the second question is this. What does this passage tell us about people? And, of course, we're really interested in the third question, which is, what does this passage tell us about the relationship between God and his people? That's what the Bible is about. It's about God, it's about us, and it's about the way we relate to one another. And this is so important that we study the Bible together and we have people to teach us and to grow us and to show us the way that leads to life. And it's always been this way. From the early church in the book of Acts chapter 8, we find this. The Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it, to the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip ran up to it, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch replies, how can I? Unless someone guides me. We need guides in our faith, friends. And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Then Philip began to speak. And starting with the scripture, he's using the scriptures. He's telling other people about Jesus and God through the scriptures. And he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. That day, right then... Right there, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. The scripture brings life when we give it authority over our lives. This gift we have that we call the Bible comes at a heavy price. You and I can only read the Bible in our native language, if English is your native language, because of a man named William Tyndall. In 1525, Tyndall translated the New Testament from the original Greek. And what Tyndall got for his historic accomplishment was to be arrested in Brussels in his early 40s, then imprisoned for more than a year, and then taken to the stake on October 6, 1536, where he was first strangled and then burned. You and I can read the Bible today because one man gave his life that we might do it. I hope we will. 
My prayer is that you and I catch the fire and the spirit of William Tyndall. May we understand again the power of the Word of God, a gift of life worth dying for. So our action steps for this week. And if you've been with us very long at all, you know this. Every morning, I pray that you will join me with Bible before phone. Will you say that with me? Bible before phone. And I know that many of you have scriptures on your phone. Well, that's great. Just make sure and go to that app first. Because we want to set our lives and our days and our time with God, who says we're a beloved child of His, before we listen to what the world has to say about our life. Bible before phone. And then secondly, this is a great season because we're about to roll out all kinds of adult programming here at Acts 2 um, this fall. So we hope that you will sign up for a Wednesday night grown-up Bible study. Um, It is a wonderful time to be in the Word. We will offer Disciple 1 this year and also Disciple 2 this year. And so I hope that you will join us as we grow in our faith. We grow up from the ways we were when we were children or even in our young adult years and we move into a mature faith with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.